So last week we jumped right into chapter 2 of the book of Acts and we're looking at this history book, right? And crazy things started to happen in chapter 2, didn't they? The main crazy thing that happened, and I say crazy in that with all due respect, number one, and with all reverence, but I mean, if you were there, I mean, I can't imagine that we would be in this room with 120 people when the Holy Spirit came the way Luke describes it, that we wouldn't all be thinking, this is crazy, isn't it? Because they were completely unprepared for the how. They just knew the what. They were waiting for the what. Wow, the how was remarkable. Remarkable. And I wonder, just in my own study, I wonder these tongues of fire, this noise that was like a, a wind. I don't think that he would have described it as a noise like the wind if it wasn't like the sound of a jet engine blowing air through the room. You know what I mean? It must have been something really significant for him to mention that it was a noise that sounded like like a, like a wind. Maybe a hurricane force kind of a wind. So that's the noise, but the curtains weren't moving. I mean, that's an interesting thought. So big things were happening here and they were they were real and and, and, and visible and, and I mean this was the real deal that was happening and so the result of that was what? not only just the people in the room heard it the crowd outside the crowd outside heard it what do you think the crowd outside was thinking I know that's a hypothetical but what do you think they must have been thinking <laughs> Bewildered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff. <laughs> the guy was really fanning the I mean, there was something really incredible happening here, and they were indeed bewildered. And so, of course, we know from the first part, those first 13 verses that we looked at in chapter 2 last week. That this is exactly what Jesus told them to do was to go back out of obedience and wait. So they waited and then this happened. And the this was what? What happened? The Holy Spirit came upon 120 that were there. According to Acts Chapter 2. Wow. So here we have the Holy Spirit. And immediately upon the Holy Spirit coming on these, or if your translation says in, which is much better, the word in is better than on, because on denotes that the Holy Spirit is sitting on my shoulder. Yeah. Okay? So the English is tough, and we're going to look at a couple of Greek words tonight that are going to help us with this, but it's really in. Okay, the infilling, it's the helper, it's the counselor, it's who Jesus said was going to come. And we're going to look at that a little bit more closely. And so these people were filled with the spirit and it happened in a way that Luke tried to describe. And it's, can you see his struggle trying to describe it? The sound of the wind, the tongues on fire, 
And then immediately, once the Holy Spirit filled these 120 people from last week, reading chapter 2, the first 13 verses, what did they do immediately? Remember? They started speaking in tongues. Now, you see, last week, I thought we were done with this discussion on tongues. But unfortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, I was asked a few questions by a couple of people this week. Like, I'm still confused a little bit. And so, if we're confused about this being filled with the Spirit, is anybody confused about that? Doctrinally speaking? In light of the historicity of this of this book that we're reading here, that's full history. Eyewitnesses, they were there. The Spirit came. And there was 120. And so I want to answer that question because I think it's a really good question. And especially from a doctrinal point of view, because is doctrine important? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Hello. It's, it's it's critical, isn't it? Because what is doctrine? What is what is? If you had to give a definition to the to the word doctrine, it's a church word, but not really. The belief system. That's it. Yeah. That's that's all it is. So doctrine becomes important because it matters what we believe, doesn't it? And, of course, clearly, what do we believe? <laughs> and this is where our doctrine comes from. Okay. Therein lies the interesting part of the second question that I was asked by an entirely different person this week. And that is, if I wanted to speak in tongues, can we speak in tongues today? Yes. Yes, if we're gifted with it. I don't believe it's always being gifted with it because you can be in going through so much pain and have so much weighing on your shoulders that you don't even know what to pray. Mm. And I believe God will listen to your mumbles and your cries. And I think that's similar. Similar? Okay. So hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. And let's reel that in in just a second, because I want to answer the first question. Can you be filled with the Spirit? And by the way, is the filling of the Spirit... Are you filled with the Spirit? Yes. Okay, wait a minute. We've got we to do this very demonstratively. <laughs> Everybody that believes that they are filled with God the Holy Spirit, the person of God the Holy Spirit... Please raise your right hand. Okay, good. So it's unanimous. Now, 
having said that, you're filled with the Spirit. Okay, that's this group. Can you be filled with the Spirit and be outside of this group, not a believer? He's talking about the Holy Spirit? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What? That's, a, that's a no. Is that a tentative, kind of a tentative no, or is that a no? Well, I mean, what is it? If you're not a believer, no, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And are you talking about the people in the Old Testament that were believers were filled on instances, not everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about today. But a lot of people were filled, filled with the Spirit in order to accept Jesus. Oh, well, define that, we'll go a little bit farther. Meaning that the Spirit led them to accepting. Okay, okay. Okay, all right. Uh, and what what time frame are you talking about? Because there's a comment over here by Susan that said in the Old Testament, okay. Well, yeah, but where you're talking about in Acts right here, they were filled to the Spirit, but uh, that could have been for them to accept Christ at that moment. Uh, and some may have already had to get at that moment. I love the question because you see it was a simple question, but but all of a sudden you start to think about it just a little bit and it becomes pretty important that we that we're clear, huh? Because everybody here, oh, am I ever I'm born again. I'm filled with spirit. I say no. I mean I'm thinking because later isn't there a passage where, you know, um, they witness to people and they're believing, but then they even go, they have to, to go later and they baptize and say, well, but you didn't have, you know, you have to have the Holy Spirit. So mm. they, they may have been, <laughs> you know, thinking about it and, you know, they were open to it. Well, it's an interesting because I believe... But the I don't think they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. I think the 120 was. Okay. The others were filled after they heard. Okay. Because that's when they got baptized, the whole thing. The, okay. The thousands. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to see that tonight because we're going to look at Peter's first, very first sermon. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the best sermons ever preached because it was the very first <laughs> one. But, uh, but, but I think that that Steve-O is on to something here because I believe that was really the genesis of the question that I was asked this week. Do you have do you have to be a believer to be filled with the Spirit? Because the context in which I was asked the question was, what about those people that are that are they're not believers, but they're 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 coming to Christ. And God knows. Okay. So let's take a look at this biblically because the only thing that I can do is Diana was the first one to say <laughs> and pretty much everybody else has done that too but Steve raises a very interesting point that's a very interesting point so open your Bibles to, to the book of John and let's take a look at John chapter 14 John 14 and verse 15. So John 14, 15. 
I love the headers that different translations. It pretty much gives you a clue what's coming next. My NIV study Bible says Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And um, that's that's all great, but those weren't there originally. Um, Now, let's read John 14 verses 15, 16, and 17. Somebody who has an NIV. I think, Susan, you got the NIV, right? Could you read those three verses? 15, and 17. 15, 16, and 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Okay. So... There is an interesting word there in, uh, in that last verse. That's the N word, in you. And what else is interesting about, first of all, in John here, uh, the context is understandably who Jesus is speaking to. Who is Jesus speaking to? Yes, his, pretty much his disciples at this particular point. Clearly, they're all in for Christ to the extent that they understood how to be all in for Christ because they were still trying to figure it out, weren't they? But the point is, so Jesus himself tells them, uh, if you love me, you'll obey me. Interesting, parallel that to what Jesus told those people that were on the Mount of Olives when he ascended. He said, go back and be obedient. Go back and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. They were just being obedient. The very first act of the church was obedience. I said it like three or four times last week, and I have to remind myself, that's, that's my role, is to be obedient and then faithful. Okay, But obedience comes first. He says, hey, just be obedient. Obey what I've commanded. And then he says something really interesting. What does he say next? He's going to do what? Give us another counselor. But, who's he, but how is that going to happen? He, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is telling his disciples... That he is going to ask God the Father. I love that. Coming, the question coming from God the Son. To bring you God the Holy Spirit. The counselor that he has promised. And what's the promise? And then what's going to happen? He is... Okay. Think of the audience. Here's the disciples. And I want you to think about the disciples. I want you to think about the 120. And I want you to think about however many of us are in here. Okay? Jesus said... No worries, guys. Paraphrase again. No worries, guys. This is what I promised you. And they've been with him all this time. And everything he's promised, he's done. And he said, I am going to ask God the Father. I'm going to ask God the Father. And he is going to send God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is going to... These are the same people that were in the group of 120, by the way. And then I'm not only going to ask him. Jesus is being submissive to God the Father... Don't miss that. <laughs> Out of obedience, mm-hmm. Jesus is obedient. 
he's going to ask God the Father. Wow. That's awesome. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Bingo. There's the gospel. And he's going to ask. And God is not only a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. And he is going to send the Holy Spirit, which is what just happened in Acts chapter 2. Okay? These are believers. Do they have the Holy Spirit yet in John 14? No. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, 9. Any translation you would like to read out of somebody, just read that one verse, Romans 8, 9. You are, however, not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you... Stop right there. You can stop right there. Okay. What's a key word in that verse? Yeah. If. The most important word in that verse. If. If what? If the Spirit of God lives Who's he talking to? <laughs> okay. I love it. And we have to finish with Ephesians chapter 1. The Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Go ahead, Susan, and then I'll be if you would. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, there are two in the context of the question. Can believers or only believers filled with the Spirit or can other can a non-believer be filled with the Spirit? There are two very important words in this passage in <laughs> Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, having believed, having believed. The key word there is? Believe. Believe. You have to be a believer. Okay. So, as it turns out, Diana's right. According to the word of God. In order, the first order of business for an infilling of the Holy Spirit that is going to live in you is believing. But that's not all. Because there's something else that's important too. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You were marked in him with a seal. That is a loaded statement, by the way. Marked in him with a seal. Because, you know, we don't do things with seals anymore. And I don't think he's talking about the kind that is in the ocean that eats fish. 
it's like possession and, and ownership and and it's almost you could almost say in this particular case you were sealed your identity now because you believed is sealed but how is it sealed and what is it sealed with the promised Holy Spirit which is a deposit mm-hmm. hang on to that that's a very important word for 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 Peter's first sermon, that deposit word. It's very important. Belief is first. Okay. And, and these are just three verses. Uh, three, three, um, uh, we went three places here in the scriptures to identify that to be filled with the Spirit, the first thing you have to do is believe. The second thing that has to happen doesn't have anything to do with you or me. Okay. Remember, 120, he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Obediently, they did. And what happened? Nothing that they had any control over. (laughs) But you see, they already believed. Or they wouldn't have been obedient. You get the picture? How that comes together so cleanly and nicely? Yeah, you got to believe. Now, let's go back to your question, because it's very important, I think. (laughs) Okay, so the question is, there's a but to this. The but to this is, but in Acts 2, the first 13 verses, we saw, as you pointed out, Ken, that there was a whole bunch of folks out there, and i got to believe that not only did they hear the noise, I don't know that they saw the tongues of fire, but I'm pretty confident that that, that, that noise wasn't contained in four walls where 120 people were sitting. i gotta, I got to believe that, because... Olivia pointed out, man, they were bewildered and blown away and amazed Mm -hmm. and shocked and in awe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So God did a work. Okay. And he did a work and we're going to see in a minute what happened with that work that he did. And so how did that happen then, Steve-O? Because according to scripture, those people that were bewildered, amazed, and shocked, but very interested, weren't they? A whole bunch of them. It's not like, maybe some of them ran away, but most of them were going, what the heck's going on in there? They were really curious, weren't they? And we're going to see that in a minute. Work of God? Oh, definitely. Definitely a work of God. Hmm. A work of the Spirit? And they believe. A work of the Spirit? Yes. Well, it says they were God-fearing Jews. So oh. They already were. Some. We're going to see We're gonna see that in a minute. Okay. 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 <laughs> there was a lot of people there. It's like... We, we, go ahead. It's like he put the fear of God in him. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting because what we see is we we're, what we're doing is we're paralleling this thing because what we see is, is that in order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to start with belief. That's the first thing. It doesn't even say how much you got to believe, does it? Thomas believed, but there's something else that has to happen because we also know from other sections of, of Scripture here that we know to be the truth that even the demons believed. So it's more than belief. But that's the first thing that you got to start with. Because if you don't believe, you don't believe. 
You're not going to be filled with the Spirit if you don't believe. It starts there. But what else did they do? Being filled with the Spirit had nothing to do with that. What else did they do? They took another action after they believed in Acts chapter 2. What, what did they do? Well, before that, but, but no, I'm, yeah, that's exactly, that was the result, no, no question about it. They believed, let's go back to 120 in Acts chapter 2, they obeyed. They took the next step. They believed and they took an action. They took a step of obedience. And then, and then the promised Holy Spirit came. Again, that's something I think we can't, we can't miss. Because you can believe all day long, can't you? But what is belief without action? What does James say about that? We don't even want to go there because that's too scary. But belief, action, spirit. See, God did his work that he promised. And who did he do that with? The ones, the ones that took the step of obedience. You see, because what we're not told is, were there more people there that were thinking like, wow, I wonder if I should believe this. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of people there trying to figure out what was going on. But what we know is that you are not filled with the Spirit. But can you be led by God? And if you're led by God, now we have a now we have a doctrine of the Trinity that we have to deal with, don't we? If you're led by God, are you led by the Spirit? Yes. <laughs> Doctrinally speaking. Say that again. Okay. Uh, one in essence, three in person, right? So you have the essence of God. Jesus said uh, he was just being submissive to God the Father. What? I love that because so many people struggle with the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. But it's it's easy. It's 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 no, it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. So the simplicity of it is is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one in essence, three in person. And so God the Holy Spirit resides in you, believer. But God the Holy Spirit does not reside in those that are outside the walls there that don't believe. Because not only do they not believe, they haven't taken action. They haven't taken an action step of obedience. That's what these first people did. Don't miss that. In Acts chapter 2, the first 13 verses, the whole key to the foundation of what's happening with the church, what's going to happen next after the, first, after the first message that is preached in the New Testament by Peter, what happens is incredible. And it's because they believed, they took an action step of obedience... <laughs> obedience and then bam the promise is fulfilled the promise is fulfilled so then can you speak in tongues today because that's the second question yes you said kind of yes yeah. yes anybody I would say if God wants you to <laughs> okay if God wants you to okay if God gives you to okay yep but okay. I wasn't here when he was doing the Acts thing, but I I thought when they spoke about people speaking in tongues then 
that they were actually speaking in the other people's language. Absolutely. That they didn't know. Right. It, it wasn't like just standing up and speaking a bunch of garble. Yeah. We, we see the first four verses of chapter 2, and, um, and you can turn there if you want, but we looked at it last week, and then we'll, we'll move on here in just a minute. But, but we see that this all happened at Pentecost, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes, and there's the wind, there's the tongues of fire, and the, the first thing that happens, because there's a whole crowd of people, because there was the festival of weeks going on. I mean, there was a, there was a whole, it was Oktoberfest, not Oktoberfest, uh, <laughs> that's the wrong term. What, it was a, it was a, uh, no, what do you, what, what's the other name for the Halloween festival, because we never call it. Halloween church. Oh. Harvest Fest. Thank you. Harvest. That's the word I was looking for. Not October Fest. That's a beer drinking <laughs> <laughs> But there were those that accused them of being the beer drinkers yeah. because they said, these people are drunk. Yeah. And no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Nobody gets drunk. Well, most people don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. But, but they accused them of being drunk because this was strange. And so we see in those first four verses of chapter 2 that there was this speaking in tongues. And so we don't have to go back and rehash it from last week, but we see that they were speaking in tongues, but they were speaking in intelligible languages. Okay, So Stevo has the wind in the room and the tongues of fire that, that seem to, to, to rest on him individually and as well as the other 119 in the room. right? And the first thing that starts happening is he begins to speak in a language that he does doesn't even know. He doesn't even know that language. But somebody out there that heard what's going on and they're curious and they come in, that's the language that they speak. Huh? And what's the point of the interpretation at that point? Just to speak to the people. What's the point of the interpretation at that point? Using the example that I just used, Steve, you are talking in a foreign language that you don't even know. God. Okay, and there, but so, you said that somebody so, in here said that it had to be interpreted so to be biblically correct. So what's the point of the interpretation if the only person speaking in tongues here is him, and he's speaking in a language that he doesn't understand? But but there's a guy named. Uh, Heinrich, and he's out here, and Heinrich is listening to him, and he knows him to be an American-born, um, you know, redneck that only knows <laughs> what. Yeah, yeah, I know that you're not, you know, hillbilly. Okay, hillbilly. And he knows that you don't know that language. None of us know that language, but he's speaking the language. What's the point of the interpretation that we're going to look at here in just a second? Get them to believe. It's for unbelievers. We looked at that last week. That's perfectly fine. But what's the point of the interpretation? Bringing the gospel. And what's the point? <laughs> Why is there an interpretation necessary? He's already preaching the gospel in a language he doesn't understand. The Heimlich out here in his language, and, and I'm just going, wow! <laughs> but none of you speak that language. What? So the unbeliever can get the truth message. I, he's speaking the truth to this man in his yeah, language, and now all of a sudden, because nobody else can do it. And so, but it needs, why does it need to be interpreted? Heimlich's understanding him perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, you're talking, oh, okay, you're We're talking, talking about in the church. You said that it had to be, in order to be biblically accurate, huh? But, but why is there, why does there need to be an interpretation according to, according to scripture? Because we need to know it's true. Okay. Well, Keep going. This becomes pretty important. We're not supposed to have chaos. 
There's no chaos. Okay. Let me see your paper so I can see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you see, if you went to a church today, church, Mm -hmm. and there were people in there, and there was all this stuff going on, and they were speaking in tongues. Very confusing. And if it was confusing to you, why do you need an interpretation? So you're not confused. The interpretation isn't for Heimlich. He's speaking his language. The interpretation is for you and him. Because he is speaking in the Spirit. He doesn't know what he's speaking. God the Holy Spirit has given him the words to speak to Heimlich, who is an unbeliever, who is hearing the gospel. And we're all sitting there going, what? I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Steve. And where did you get that language from anyway? You've been studying without me knowing it. What's going on here? No. Then God, the Holy Spirit, takes Olivia, and Olivia then stands up, because we see biblically that only two or three can speak. Otherwise, it would be chaos. Mm -hmm. And Olivia stands up and then interprets for the rest of us for the edification of the body of Christ. So, go ahead. Because I've been in a church service where there was a lot of that going on. And there were a lot of people standing up and saying, you know, their heavenly language that nobody could understand. Correct. And there wasn't anybody standing up interpreting until later. And then one person just got up and said one thing. And it's like, Okay, are you supposed to have multiple interpreters for each one, or? <laughs> well, let's just look at let's. We don't turn there, so that we can, in the interest of time, we'll keep. We'll just we'll just move on just a little bit. But let's see what Paul says about the gift of tongues, because he talks about it a lot. And again, you don't have to turn there. First Corinthians fourteen six says, "Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction?" What good is it if I'm speaking in tongues and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about? That's the first thing that he says. Then, same book, 1 Corinthians 12.30, he says, do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in an unknown language, unknown languages to us? Do we have that ability? Do we all have the ability to interpret that unknown language? Of course not, he says. Of course not, we can't all do that. Think about today. Don't worry about the first century. Think about today because all of a sudden application becomes very important because doctrine becomes very important when it comes to speaking in tongues. So he says, of course you don't all have the ability to do that. Nobody has every gift. God, the Holy Spirit, gives you as he sees fit. Okay? As he sees fit. And then... In 1 Corinthians 14, 13, he says, So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is to speak to her in tongues in the flesh it would just be she would it would be just gibberish because there wouldn't be anybody here to understand what I was saying it would just be gibberish in the flesh it's always in the spirit he says that if I pray in tongues for if I pray in tongues my spirit is praying but I don't understand what I'm saying get it biblically if you're going to pray or speak in tongues you're not going to be doing it 
It will be the Spirit in you, and you won't understand. That's why Is I was it? saying that um, if you're laying in bed going through a really hard time, sometimes the Spirit will lead you even though you don't know what's going on. Clearly the Spirit will lead you, but not in the not in the gift of tongues will will if because if you pray according to according to uh, the Bible mm-hmm. it is written. It is written that if you are going to be praying in the Spirit, if you are going to be speaking in tongues in the Spirit, it is always in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And A, it, we're going to see in a minute, if you're going to pray in the Spirit, do that as between you and God. God understands completely what you're saying. Even if nobody else does, even if you don't. Because it is in the Spirit that you're praying. Which is very different than if we're just, oh Lord, help me. <laughs> I'm in trouble, Lord, and I am so dependent on you. And I, I talk to God like that all the time. Probably because I'm in trouble all the time. But, <laughs> but you, you get what I mean? It's like, oh, from here. okay. But speaking in a way that you can't understand, if you have that gift, and it's only if you have that gift, according to the Bible. Only if you have that gift. Okay? Now, because when it, it says only if you have that gift, is that speaking about uh, personal you to God, or is that speaking... When you're around a bunch of people. When you're around a bunch of both. Let's finish this. First Corinthians 14. Again, don't turn there. Let me just read it for you so you can listen. Well, then, what shall I do? As he just said, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand even what I'm saying. Then he says, well, then, what shall I do if I'm praying and I don't even understand what I'm saying? And he says, then, I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words that I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? Get the point? All of a sudden, speaking in tongues, speaking in the Spirit requires interpretation. It requires somebody that can interpret so it is edifying to the body of Christ. Otherwise, it's all about you. Then he says, you will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. It's about edification. And then Paul's conclusion here is that is especially as we can relate to it today, because is the gift of tongues for the church today? We got to ask that question because some people doctrinally would say that the gift of tongues absolutely ceased at the end of the apostolic age, meaning as soon as the apostles were dead, tongues were dead. That's what some people would say doctrinally, but I can't find that anywhere biblically. I don't find that anywhere. And so, uh, what about First Corinthians thirteen eight? It says this, prophets, prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless. Careful, because that's the scripture that those would say that tongues stop at the end of the apostolic age. That's where they'll go. Because it says if you're going to be speaking in these unknown languages with special knowledge, that will become useless. But it doesn't say it will become useless when the apostles are dead. It doesn't say that. It says, 
but love will last forever. And our knowledge is partial, it's incomplete, and even if the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Ah, they just forget to read the rest of the passage. When the time of perfection comes, these things, speaking in tongues, okay, prophesying, will become useless. When is the time of perfection? What? what? When Christ comes! In the meantime, the gift of tongues, as you said, if God wants you to speak in tongues, Ken, as far as I'm concerned, tomorrow could be your day. I don't know. It's possible. Just like Jesus could come tomorrow. If the Holy Spirit, my brother, wants you to speak in tongues, and Olivia is going to interpret for the edification of the body and for Heimlich out here to believe, because that's the miracle that Heimlich's been waiting for. And he goes, oh, I believe, and it's now time for me to be obedient. Then so be it. Amen? Could you look at this as... If, God, if, if there's a, someone to interpret and God wanted someone to speak in tongues, say they never ever did it, and uh, they didn't want him, that, that God would have them do it anyway. Does that, clearly, make, does that make sense? Clearly, if Ken wasn't praying for the gift of tongues, but it was God's purpose for him and God's will for him, to reach Heimlich and there was no other way to do it and he was even scared of speaking into is it a little bit spooky? Yeah. Okay. Could God overcome that through the power of the Spirit in you so that Heimlich could be reached? In an instant. In an instant. Could Ken be praying for the gift of tongues for the rest of his life and never receive it? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, in God's sovereignty, any of those things can happen. Because we see that, you, that, 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 that tongues in Scripture is biblical. That's how the church started. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. What's wrong with speaking in tongues? I think some people use it for themselves rather than for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had that experience before? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have. Yeah, you crawled under the pew. <laughs> the first time I crawled under the pew. The next time I had the opportunity, I was in a tent revival, and I was a little more mature. I'd been a believer for about ten, almost fifteen years, and so then I was a little bit more prepared. It was quite the Pentecostal, wonderful people, and there were people running around all over the place, and there was it was total chaos. <laughs> I mean, total chaos. The Marshall stacks were turned all the way up. The sound guy had everything on 11. And it was like, my, you know, and my ears are going like this. And people are screaming in unintelligible languages. But you see, then I understood what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. And so I was at that time, instead of crawling under the pew, it afforded me the opportunity to pray instead. To pray instead. But there's four things that become pretty important truths about about tongues before we move on. Doctrinally. First, 1 Corinthians 14.10 says that it has to be in a real and intelligible language. Must be. That's what scripture says. 
it says that it has to be for the purpose of communicating God's word with a person of another language that you don't understand. It says that it would be in agreement with 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If anybody speaks in a tongue, two or three, not 50, like I've experienced at one time, two or three at most should speak, but only one at a time, and someone must. Olivia, you've got to interpret. <laughs> Somebody's got to. If an interpretation isn't happening, it is not biblical. It is not of the Spirit. I don't care how long you've been praying to be able to do that, Ken. See what I mean? No, that's, that's biblical. It must be interpreted. And also it has to be orderly and not chaotic. That's what these people say, that they're speaking in their heavenly language. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What, what well, because mean? I'm very spiritual, but I'm not very religious. <laughs> what? What does that well, mean? you know, there's... Wherever there's a genuine, there's always going to be a counterfeit. Clearly. And, you know, people can go to church all the... I think Pastor Richie said, or what did I think? You can go to church all your life, a person can go to church all, all their life and not be a growing Christian. And we can have lots of people that come to church and are seeking God, but maybe they're seeking God, or maybe they're going through... I don't know, but, you know, yeah. but you can't be, you know, a growing growing Christian unless you are in a body of like-minded believers. That's, that, uh, unless God has you in a place where that's not possible, but that would only be for a time. Yeah. Okay? Because if you have to live in a cave someplace because they're shooting at you, and yeah. you're stuck there for, for the next three years, yeah, you're right. probably not going to be going to church on Sunday. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I get to what you mean. <laughs> but, but biblical truth, you see, because these are true truths. And the true truth is that from a doctrinal point of view, if it doesn't line up, we say it all the time, if it doesn't line up, then it's not, it's not of God. And simply speaking, it's either a real intelligible language or it's not biblical. It is for the purpose of communicating the word of God. It is for the purpose of communicating the word of God. Now, primarily for unbelievers, but it could be, tongues could be spoken in this church, in this building, in this instance. Right now, tonight, tongues could be spoken if it is interpreted for the edification of this body of believers. That's just as fine. It's totally fine with an interpreter and for the edification out of the Word of God. True truths from the Word of God. It must also not be chaotic. And only two or three with one speaking at a time. If there were six of you in here that we're speaking unintelligible languages to us and only one interpretation, it is not of God. Well, why would he, in a body of believers like this where everybody speaks the same language, would tongues even be necessary? Now, that's a great question because <laughs> from all of this, from all of this, what would be your conclusion? Well, we don't need, when we're all speaking the same language and are able to understand, then in this particular oh. instance, it's... Gosh, I love it. See, we get it. Unless Why is it not normative in the church today? Unless there was a visitor... Because she's the only one that speaks German in here that I'm, not, that I'm aware of. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, you could you <laughs> right. have somebody who speaks German, like Carl Becker, right. or you could have somebody who speaks Spanish, like Teresa, and that could have 
to them in that language. Right. Or it could be you have a visitor. In this body, though, and I think I, I think that that's what you're speaking about, right? Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be normative tonight? Because we don't need an interpreter. There's nobody in here that doesn't understand English. And if it were to be somebody that was speaking in a language that is outside of anything that we know, nobody in here would be capable of interpreting in any way. What would be the point? Biblically speaking, it would be unbiblical. But tongues is not unbiblical. So you must conclude that. I mean, you have to include, or you must conclude that tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit that did not cease. It has never ceased until the time of perfection, until Christ's return. But in order for it to be of the Spirit, it has to meet the biblical criteria, or it is not biblical. And therefore, it is of the flesh, and nothing more than being done by somebody that wants the attention. You know something. Maybe the devil. Amen? Something that just came to me. And I've never, honestly, never thought of it this way until just now. You could have someone in here that is German or French or whatever, and they don't speak English. And they themselves got up and said something, and there's someone in here that did speak that language that would tell us what they were saying. Exactly. Because God could be speaking to them, and we don't understand it. And if it is of the Spirit, Steve, and it meets these biblical criteria, amen. Right. And if it doesn't, doctrinally speaking, you realize that the first thing you can do is just pray for that group because what they're doing is not biblical. But I've always thought... It's that simple. It's not even that complicated, is it? Because Scripture teaches us. But what is one of the more confusing doctrines in the church, especially on the Pentecostal? I love my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, but what gets confused? Because what isn't tongues, biblically? Jibber-jabber. It's not jibber-jabber. It's not gobbledygook. We went to one, and the pastor goes, okay, we're going to speak in tongues now. And the only time being raised a Baptist that I heard of people speaking in was when they were demon-possessed. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what does he want me to do? Does he want me to say something in German? Does he want me to say something in French? And I'm trying to think of something I could say. Well, the whole thing is that you couldn't say it anyway. I know. It's the spirit in you that says it. You're not going to be in a position that I'm going to speak in tongues now. It doesn't work that way. Biblically, when it isn't, it is not the evidence that you are born again. It is, it is not evidence of your of your salvation. That's what it isn't. It isn't garbledy good, is it? Yes, they do. Okay, we know. They told my daughter that she wasn't she was not filled with the spirit because she could not. You cannot be baptized into the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. You cannot. You the. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I, I get excited about this stuff. The first time because what's heartbreaking, Frank, 
Pardon me? Well, the first time you believe, you get it all. There's not a second filling. Right. There's, not There's no second filling through baptism. You're not going to get it through church membership. It's not going to come through some kind of a ceremony or a tradition. It is going to come as a gift of the Holy Spirit, and he could gift it to Brenda, could get the gift tonight, and so could I. It could happen tonight. But... It isn't happening, and it's not normative in the church today because God hasn't bestowed that gift on very many people. It just, but He does in other places, and tongues is spoken in other places, and it meets all this biblical criteria. Hallelujah! But you have to understand that when somebody comes to you and says that, oh, you can't, you can't be, you can't be a true believer because it's, the evidence isn't there. What do you mean the evidence isn't there? You're talking about. You talking about the fruit of the Spirit? No, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You're not speaking in tongues, so you can't be saved. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me, That's not in there anywhere. I mean, just go to First Corinthians. Yeah. Paul speaks a lot about it, and then go to Acts. Mm-hmm. We're spending a lot of time on this because it's important doctrinally. It's just yeah. important. You have to love everybody all the time, but doctrine is important because you have to. You have to. As I think, as you said, quite. Uh, quite uh, uh, very importantly is that we have to understand what scripture says because if we don't we'll get drug into falsehood false teaching teaching. and so why do we hang out on Wednesday nights and Sundays and well that's how we can recognize false teaching if it's shit ever Bingo! Just like that. So the next time you're at a church and there's a bunch of gibberish going on and there's nobody interpreting and there's 50 people and they're doing it, you don't have to get up and leave. Just pray. Pray that the Spirit would reveal the truth. That's all. Of course, we love people. Well, the word really confused like that. It's better to speak a couple words that people understand than a thousand that nobody understands. That's right. That's what Paul said. Mm-hmm. Man, you've been reading the Bible, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> because no, actually, he's speaking in tongues. <laughs> yeah, um, that was actually in German. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I wrote that scripture down. Now I can't find it. But Paul ab- absolutely said that. Yeah. Paul absolutely said that. He says, "What's the point, man? If I speak ten thousand words in, in a language that nobody can understand." You know, what good is that? that it would, isn't any good. And the other like thing that's really important, doctrinally speaking, and we've got to move on because, man, I have no idea we're going to do this much time on that. But, but it becomes important because doctrine is important. And tongues isn't for everybody. Tongues didn't cease and won't cease until Christ comes. Period. That's what the Bible says. Not me. And it isn't for everyone. It isn't necessary until God, the Holy Spirit, determines that it is. <coughs> For a particular reason, his reason, not yours, because you won't even know that you're doing it, because you're not going to understand the language you're speaking anyway. It is the spirit in you. I love that. That takes you out of the equation. It, don't you love that about Jesus? It's not about us, and we got, but we got to be reminded all the time. It's about him, and, and it has nothing to do with your identity in Christ. Nothing. Speaking in tongues has nothing to do with our identity in Christ. Or the body. Amen. Right. Amen. Because it never ever happens here. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Amen. So now we got to go to Peter's first sermon. Mm-hmm. We have to. We'll do that next week. 
Hmm. No, we can't. Forget it. The, and the crazy thing is, is there are 40 verses in this sermon. Yeah. And it's a really good sermon. Did anybody read it? This is a really, really powerful sermon. Because let's set the stage and then let's read it. Let's set the stage. Where's Peter? Where are we going? Huh? Where are we going? I'm sorry. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We left off at 13 last week. Okay. So... There is there's something going on here. There's 120 people that are filled with the Spirit, and there is a bunch of curiosity seekers out there. Some of them are saying, these people are drunk. Other people are going, what's happening in there? I mean, they're really curious in a very positive way. And then, and by the way, where are they geographically speaking? They're in Jerusalem. I can't wait to go to Israel because, man, for those of you that have, I'm so jealous. I know I shouldn't be, but I am. Because, man, this is like, that. that's a small piece of dirt, and it's not even very attractive over there. It's like a desert. Yeah. Right. I don't even like the desert. I like the mountains and trees and water. Yeah. And a lot of rocks. A lot of rocks. But they're in Jerusalem. Is it significant that they're there? Yeah, I hope to shout. Because what what give me a couple of reasons why it's significant that the hundred and twenty in obedience, the first act of the church, that's our history, right? Our church, our history is the first act is obedience to God. Why is it important that they're in Jerusalem? They were told to go there. Be- that's first and foremost, they were told to go there. Well, they were on the Mount of Olives, so they only had to walk a, yeah. a half a Sabbath walk? No, what was it? Half a, half half a Sabbath, Sabbath walk, yeah. yeah. Okay, so they only walked... It's just across the valley. Yeah, five-eighths of a mile or whatever we determined that was. But why was it important that they're in Jerusalem? It's an important hub. I mean, that's what they were yeah. in the sense of taking the, you know... Pentecost. Jesus crucified. Pentecost happened there. I mean, we we. I mean, we could go on. We could go on for an hour and talk about why it's important. Because and and why was it important to the Jews were, that were in the crowd that went? What's going on? Why was it important to them? Because they were there. Well, they were there for Pentecost. And what were they waiting for? The ones that had Jesus is now gone. So what were they waiting for? The Jews. What, what were they waiting for? The Messiah. The Messiah. And what did they expect the Messiah to do? To rescue them. To, re- to rescue them. What, what did you say? The, what was he going to be bringing? With power. In Jerusalem, they were he, the king. But, but he left. <laughs> but they were in Jerusalem. This was the center of everything. Right? They thought every restoration was going to happen right then and there, mm-hmm. but it didn't. They probably thought he was still going to come back to conquer the world, mm-hmm. because that's that's what they thought back. They wanted. Originally, they, they were tired of oppression. They thought a conqueror was coming. <laughs> they were tired of being oppressed. Conquer them, Romans. The Romans are going to get out of here. Well, they did. They finally fell, but it wasn't the way that the Jews thought it was going to happen. Yeah. So here's Peter, and 
just follow along if you have an NIV. I'm just going to read the. I'm going to read all 40 verses. You ready? <clears throat> then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He's standing at the pulpit. This is the first sermon. you got to love it. Put that in your mind's eye. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And this is Joel speaking, by the way, <laughs> in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him. Now he's quoting from the Psalms. Peter's quite a preacher. <laughs> I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Jesus. I added that. Probably not there. <laughs> I don't have that. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Hmm. He's telling them what they're seeing and hearing. I love it. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Okay, Jews. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard that, this, they were cut to the heart. Do you think tongues had anything to do with that? I do. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I love it. Heimlich is outside the door going, What shall we do? Steve, you're talking my language, man. And Olivia is letting everybody know. What shall I do? That's what he's saying, man. He's, he's seeking because he's bewildered.
Spirit that is going to seal you, as we saw from 1 Corinthians earlier. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's a loaded one. With many other words, he warned them. This wasn't his only sermon. This was not a five-minute sermon. My guess is it was more like a four-hour one. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what's going to happen when we move, probably, with Richie. Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Wait a minute. This is the first day. Those who accepted his message were baptized. The first day they heard and believed, and they took action, what was their action? Obedience Obedience to be baptized. He says repent and be baptized. Bam, they did it. Just like that. I love it. And he says, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Holy Toledo. (laughs) You think that that wasn't a... Where did that sermon come from? (laughs) Man, the Spirit came on Peter and was in Peter. And all of this speaking in tongues. There were 3,000 people there for a harvest fest. And they came from all around, essentially, the known world at that time. I mean, I don't know how many languages were being spoken, but Olivia was really busy there when she was trying to get her home. Hey, I don't know. For all I know, there was a thousand different languages being spoken. I don't have a clue because we're not told. But that's not the point. It's the miracle of what happened. Because he stood up and he raised his voice. Because there were thousands of people there. They didn't have microphones. Yeah. <laughs> How did all those people hear him? God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, it's what just everywhere. Look at the beginning of the church. It's not exciting. I mean, it's exciting when you think that's the same Holy Spirit that's in us. That's doing this work. It wasn't Peter. He was just being used by God, the Holy Spirit, just like us. There's no difference. That's ex- I don't know about you, but man, that's exciting to me. Could we talk about a, just appropriating the fullness of the Spirit that's already in us? Amen, right? Amen. Wes? It's like that song about today, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that calmed the raging sea was mm. in us. Hmm. Man, if we can just grasp the power of God, the Holy Spirit in us. <laughs> I think we're going to be trying to do that for the rest of our days here. That's, I think, sanctification, isn't it? That's transformation. When we get a little piece of that and we understand, it's like, woohoo, that's good. <laughs> and then I, 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 like, three steps up and then one back. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> that's our life, isn't it? That's, that's what it's like. And so he's, he's, I mean, this is a, do you have any commentary at all on this, on this first message of Peter? Do you have any thoughts about what he says to these people? Big crowd without a microphone or a speaker? No sound man? I mean, 
No megaphone. No megaphone. <laughs> I mean, he quotes Joel from memory. My guess is he was not holding up the scroll. Right. <laughs> My guess is the Holy Spirit gave Peter the words, and he was preaching in the Spirit. The words of God. God's Word. Look at the power of God's Word. What happened here? Oh my gosh. Well, it's amazing to look at Peter that way because when he was on his own, he denied Christ three times. Yeah. And now he spoke with the Spirit and he. Ah. Does that give you hope? Peter denying Jesus three times and then God saying, I'm not going to give up on you, dude. Yeah, right. I'm not giving up on you. Yeah. I, you knucklehead. <laughs> I'm not giving up on you. God never gives up on us. Yeah. And he didn't say you lost your salvation. He, no. In fact, just the opposite. Because God knew. God knows each one of us. Mm-hmm. And what he has for us tomorrow, next year, for as long as we have days on this earth, unless Jesus comes mm-hmm. tonight. And, and here's Peter quoting from Joel, who, and Joel wrote these words some, what, 800 some years before Peter was reading, or he was either reading them or, he, or the Spirit gave them to them. But it's right out of Joel. He quotes right out of Joel. You can read it if you want to. Joel 2, verse 28. And he, and, he, and he talks about things that are fulfilled because he says in the last day, are we in the last days? Mm-hmm. 800 years before this which was 2,000 years before now so 2,800 years ago Joel said in the last day God says I will pour out my spirit on all people and they thought it was the last day right there bingo <laughs> there's 120 people the spirit is in them with tongues and noise I have no idea what that must have been like yeah. and they're thinking Joel because Peter's preaching the message. It said, in the last days. Hallelujah. You said earlier, I'm ready for Jesus to come right now. Yeah. That's what they were saying. Yeah. He's coming right now. It's the last days. Mm-hmm. Our last days or his last days? <laughs> because a thousand years is like a day. I don't know. Maybe it'll be thousands more. I don't know when he's coming. But... Joel says that in the last days, prophecy fulfilled. The Holy Spirit came. Okay, Bible disbelievers, this is a history book. Luke in Acts 2 says the Holy Spirit came after this act of obedience and this is how it happened. He's just telling them the way it is. Right? It's just history. This is what happened. This is when it happened, and this is how it happened. 800 years before that, which was 28 years ago, 2,800 years ago from now, Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Wait a minute, all people? (laughs) Yeah, on all people who believe and took a step of obedience. And put their faith in Christ Jesus. And they were filled with the Spirit. Just like us. The same Spirit. And he says then in Joel, he says that, I'll show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. There were lots of signs and wonders, weren't there? Dude, 
Was there signs and wonders going on right here, right now, with all these people being filled with the Spirit? I hope to shout. <laughs> that must have been crazy to be an observer of. Yeah. Because they were people on the outside that were going, what's happening in there? The people on the inside were going, thank you, Jesus. This is what you said was going to happen. From my act of obedience. Okay, stop. Application. From our act of obedience, what can we expect? Pardon me? The same power. Okay, now think about what that means in our life, each one of our lives today. I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. The same power that came on these people, and this was what was happening, is the same resurrection power that God says is lives in us. I told I told Sally. Sally called me tonight and said, "I'm so I'm just exhausted. I just want to let you know I won't be there tonight." I said, "I'm so glad you called. I'd worry. I just I would be so worried about you, Sally, because Sally's always there, right?" And she said, "No, you wouldn't worry." Sorry, <laughs> poor choice of words. <laughs> she says, "You're told not to worry, Bill. Don't worry." She says, "I would allow you to be concerned about me." But never worry. <laughs> I got the message from Sally tonight. <laughs> but here we are. The same power. Hmm. See, I think in the Jewish mindset of the day, what we, what, we're, what we have to deal with is the spirit being poured out on all these people. Because some of them were Jews. And the other Jews were, they, they had to think these people were drunk, some of them. But of course, then we see what happened next, don't we? Because they were looking for restoration. They were looking for, they were looking for the power over Rome. They weren't looking for God's power in them, were they? No. And that's a beautiful thing that, that we can preach now, can't we? <laughs> With the power of the Spirit in us. But first, Peter authenticates who Jesus is in his sermon. Here's, here's some good points to remember about a good sermon. You want to know when there's been a good sermon? <coughs> Jesus is preached. Right. If Jesus isn't preached, it's not a good sermon. <coughs> if Jesus isn't preached, it's not a good sermon. That's what I love about Brenda. When, when I started to get to know Brenda, <coughs> and we would talk about her opportunities, and she would see somebody that was hurting. She would see somebody that was hurting, maybe a down-and-out type of a person, and she would come put her arm around them. And say, Jesus, you just need Jesus. Jesus loves you. And... Let me tell you about Jesus. This is a woman that knows how to preach Jesus. <laughs> right here. Okay? You okay? You want some, you need some water? You're good. Okay. Jesus, he authenticates Jesus. And he says, listen to this, men of Israel, verse 22. Okay, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. He accredits him. Accredited by God. Jesus, accredited by God. To you. That's us. Okay? And then he teaches Jesus crucified in verse 23. And then he teaches Jesus resurrected in verses 24 through the next few verses. And, and that's important. The very first sermon, after they were obedient and the Spirit came on them, again, we have to look at this from a historical point of view because this is the foundation of who we are as the church. Who's the church? Us. 
It's not the building. We're not going to the church that we're going to call the well. That's just the building. It's the people. The church is going to the well. <laughs> the people aren't going to the church, right? All right. So it's important because God takes an active role in this resurrection. God takes a very active role in the filling of each one of us. God, the Holy Spirit in us. The same Holy Spirit that did all those miraculous signs and wonders. Now, does the Holy Spirit work exactly the same way in your life as it did in the 120? No, not exactly, but but partially. It could. Could. That's the same power. Yeah, exactly. It's like thumbs. It's the same power. So you can read it historically, but you can appropriate it. You can apply it today. It's the same power. I'm telling you, there was 120 people here that were not in the flesh. They were in the spirit. And Peter preaches the very first Christian church message. The very first one. And he, and he preaches the, the authenticity and the authority of Jesus. He teaches, he teaches the crucifixion of Jesus. He teaches the resurrection of Jesus. He quotes Joel. He quotes Psalms. And, I mean, it's a, it's a gospel message. And, and the result of that is, what? 3,000. Holy Toledo. <laughs> Church grew in a hurry, didn't it? <laughs> I gotta think about that. What did they do next? I'm so pragmatic, you know. <laughs> Holy Toledo, what did they do next? They went from 120 to 3,120, and they had to baptize them all. <laughs> what, they dumped them in the. I don't know what happened. That was a big baptismal. I'm just thinking. Wow. Think about it. And it's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And at the very end, I, I love it because, see, Peter doesn't stop there because then he preaches the ascended Christ, exalted to the right hand of God. He tells everybody where Jesus, see, this was prophesied. And Jesus said, I'm going to the right hand of God. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he said, because I'm sending... What? Who? Not what. It's who. Exalted to the right hand of God mean? Hmm. Well, glorified. Oh, he's glorified for sure. Lifted up. Lifted up. Jesus Christ is glorified. 
And we say around here all the time, <coughs> we want to do things to the glory of God, don't we? <laughs> kind of important that we know what that means. <laughs> Otherwise, it becomes a cliche. We want him to show off his power. Yes. Whose power? God's, God's power. power. Of course, you know me in words, so I had to look That's up the word glorified good. today. <laughs> in the Greek. In the Webster. No, in the Greek. Oh, yeah, I had to look it up in a whole different kind of in a whole different kind of dictionary. Doxa? I can't even pronounce it in the Greek. But it's spelled D-O-X-A-Z-O. That's the Greek word for glorified. Don't start speaking tongues right And it now. means just exactly what you said. Magnify, esteem to splendid greatness. Clothed in splendor. That's what glorified means. So whenever we say, ah, oh, all be to the glory of God. All be to esteem his name. All be to magnify. Magnify God. Magnify God the Father. Wow. And sadly, we cannot do it properly. Of course we can't. But not. I feel at times I don't, there's just no words in the human language in order to thank him for everything he did and and acknowledge who he is. Why because can't you why can't you glorify God perfectly? Well I can it, it, to him. Okay. Because we're imperfect. But I I can to him because he doesn't hear how I'm doing it. No, because he sees you right. in the righteousness of Christ. Right. So when you are when you are praying to the glory of right. God, he understands. But there's even times, though you don't right. there's times <laughs> I want to uh -huh. He doesn't have the word. No more. <laughs> no. I want the dictionary. Right. And when when perfection comes, that's when tongues will cease, by the way. Jesus comes. And sin and oh, theologian right here. Thing. When Jesus comes, that is the perfection of all things, mm -hmm. right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so in that perfection, of course, then you're going to begin to see. And you're going to understand. You know. Betty, when we have all these questions and we go to gotquestions.org, do you realize that you won't need to go there when you're in heaven? <laughs> because when perfection comes, you're going to be with the source of all truth. In the presence of all truth. And here Peter's just trying to convey that. So we'll close with this. He preached the gospel. <clears throat> How do you preach the gospel? It's a great sermon. Pretty good sermon points. I've been privileged and scared to death to do some of that myself from right up here. Four times to be exact. Scared to death every time. Because of the power and what it means. Scared in the flesh. Because how do you separate those two things? How do you preach the gospel? Peter did. He had the Spirit for one day. <laughs> maybe maybe only an hour. I'm not sure. There's times when we don't even know we're doing it. Perfect. But that doesn't answer the question. How do you preach the gospel? Well, I did it some... 
and says what? Preach the gospel at all times and necessary. Use word. Okay, so do you <laughs> preach the gospel? Okay, so you live it. That's your preferred method. Well, I try. Okay, well, that's good. In my imperfection. Oh, amen. He can sort it out. Amen. <laughs> amen. Here, I can talk about my imperfection all day, but if you want to hear the truth, call my wife. <laughs> Just today. <laughs> I had to ask for forgiveness from her. <laughs> but no, it's real. That's, that's unfortunately... But when the day of perfection comes, we won't have to worry about that. How do you preach the gospel? Well, I think you, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, sometimes you use words, mm-hmm. and sometimes you just need to hold the tongue. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to learn that. He gives me many opportunities to hold my tongue, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here's the close. Two different ways of doing it. Live it. Don't even have to speak a word to you. But Peter spoke a word. Peter spoke a word. In fact, I think he spoke a lot of words. Because he says there was more words spoken than we're told of here. Mm-hmm. And this is what I get out of that. And we'll close with this. In preaching the gospel to our loved ones that don't know Jesus, to our friends, mm-hmm. and to complete strangers. If you're going to preach, you can take... This is not only biblical, but I'll call it... This is also Brenda. I've learned some of this from Brenda. Because I've learned to be... This woman taught me how to be bold. This one right here. God used her to teach me how to be bold. And here's the message from Acts. Keep it simple. (laughs) Keep it simple. Keep it biblical. Keep it biblical. Keep it centered on Jesus Christ. Right? Mm -hmm. And always rely on the power of the Spirit. Don't do it on your own. Even when you're just living, do it in the, in the power of the Spirit. When you're using words, like Brenda on the street corner, how she's taught me how to be bold. Use words, but do it in the power of the Spirit, never never in the flesh. That's, what, that's the first message in the Spirit, in the church, historically, and that is the beginning of Acts. That's our foundation. That's our history of the church. This is where it begins. Now it's really going to get crazy what God is going to do in the power of the Spirit that, is, that he has bestowed on every single believer, then and now. And we'll look at that next week. Amen? Mm-hmm.